We would like to acknowledge the Bunurong peoples of the Kulin Nation as the traditional custodians of the land in which we record this podcast. We pay our respects to their elders, both past and present. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. doing the podcast where we chat all things motherhood and life after having a baby the journey through finding yourself and your new relationships with life nothing is off limits this is a safe space we are here to help you navigate this next phase of life i'm sky i'm lise and, and what the, what hell, are the hell are we doing <laughs> <laughs> one day oh <laughs> Please, how was your week? Let us know how it all is going leading up to Christmas. We're obviously recording this a few days out from Christmas, but still the chaos exists. To be honest, now that I have already had one of my family Christmas events, I have very, very minimal stress about Christmas. That's very good. I actually, yeah, it's really good. I actually don't really feel stressed. Um, the family Christmas that we had on Sunday was really good. It was really successful. And I think some of the stress that contributes into the lead up of Christmas is like the mental, okay, we've got to be here and here in the same day. You know, we've got to get up at this time because I've got to get ready by this time to drive, you know, this far and then adding in a baby and being like, hmm, hopefully she'll nap in the car when we get there and all that sort of stuff. Like I feel like now that we've split it, it felt so nice to be able to just dedicate one whole day to one part of the family. And then I know I've got another day coming up to dedicate to the other part of the family. And the best news, Shane came home from work today and said that one of his colleagues who's just come off light duties looked at their roster and went, oh, I see that you work in Christmas Day. How about I swap shifts with you and I'll work on Christmas Day for you. I literally started crying. I was like, are you kidding me? And he's like, no, I don't have to work on Christmas Day anymore. Oh, that's really I know. nice. I was. Is he like? Does he not have a family or anything? He like does, that? but he's got older kids, and he said, "You know what? It's an okay. afternoon shift. I'm happy to spend the morning with them and the afternoon before I go to work, and then they can go off and see other family or see friends, and that's okay." Oh, that's so lovely. I know. It's honestly so sweet. I was like, "We have to buy him something for Christmas now." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but honestly, <laughs> a little thank you yeah, present. It's yeah, it's actually really great. I'm really, really happy about it. What about you? How's your week been? How was your weekend? Yeah, it's been good. It's been busy just working and getting everything organized. It's always really busy at work before Christmas, obviously, everyone coming to get their favorite stuff. Um, But, yeah, no, I agree with you, like with the whole separate days of Christmas, I feel like that should be more normalized to do because it really does take or would take the stress out of having to plan traveling or where you're going or what's happening and as someone, not that it really stresses us out necessarily, but as someone who growing up, I only really ever had my dad's family here. We only ever saw my dad's family. So we just always had one event. Whereas now with, obviously when you get a partner, you have multiple families and Aaron has two families to see on that day. So it does sometimes get a bit hectic, but 
it's it's still nice, but yeah, I feel like we should normalize doing day like Chris celebrating on different days. Yeah. It doesn't all just have to be on the one day. Hundred percent. Like it's nice to so. see everyone and still have a busy day. And obviously it's nice to be like it's officially Christmas. But it's such a game changer. I think being able to be like, cool, yeah. we're stationed at this house today, whether it, you know, if you're hosting, if that's what you do and you have everyone come over or if you go to someone's house, I think it's really nice, especially if there's little kids. Like on Sunday there's three little kids and it was so nice to be like, cool, we're at one place, they've got all the stuff they want to play with, all their family like from this one part of the family to see each other. I thought it was really nice. Game changer, I'm here for it. (laughs) Yep, I'm here for it too. Um, But, yeah, so my recommendation though for Mm -hmm. the week is a bit of a makeup, a beauty recommendation. Mm. Um, I absolutely, I've tried so many different foundations and I like many, but my absolute favorite one that I just continue to go back to is the It Cosmetic CC Cream. Every time I wear it, I get so many compliments on it and I just, the way it sits, it never separates on my nice. skin. I just absolutely love it. And I would suggest everyone go out and get it. It's so hard to get. I was going to say, where do you know where to get it from? Yes, so you can get it from Adore Beauty or Sephora. Um, Adore Beauty is just online, but it is often sold out because it's obviously just that good, and everyone wants it. But you can get it from Sephora as well, obviously online or in store. What's the difference between a CC cream and a BB cream? Look, I don't don't know. know. (laughs) I was hoping you would know. I'm assuming a CC cream is slightly more coverage. Like I think a BB cream is more of like closer to a moisturizer, whereas a CC cream is closer to a foundation. Like it definitely isn't like moisturizer. It's quite full, like not full coverage, but you can make it really full coverage. Um, So, yeah, but it's just sits. It's also SPF 50. In the actual product. That's good. So you got your little sun protection as well. That's great. So, yeah, it just sits so nicely. I just absolutely love it. I love that. Well, my recommendation for the week is a show that we have been watching. We have now finished it. It is called Colin from Accounts and it's on Binge. Um, If anyone needs like a bit of a pick-me-up show, like it's kind of the premise maybe sounds like it's not that funny. It is a dog getting hit by a car but the dog survives and the rest of the show is quite funny. It's quite <laughs> unique. Like I found the whole, um, just the whole vibe of the show was just like a bit unique, really funny. I really liked it. Like a it nice, was. easygoing watch. Uh, one that you will actually want to put your phone down to watch and not because you're like, oh, there's so many characters and it's convoluted and I've really got to. Like you actually really just want to sit there and like Shane and I really loved it. I think it was a really good show for the two of us to watch with a bit of that sarcastic kind of dry humour. But I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And it's also got a bit of silly humour as well, which I really like. Like you don't really see that too much in TV anymore. Because I find that sometimes I really struggle to really have a good laugh. And like I just really want to have a good laugh and find a lot of stuff funny. But sometimes some things, just, I know. they just miss the mark that little bit now. But, yeah, that show was good. If you need a good laugh, it's definitely up there. Perfect. So let's get into today's topics. Um, Today we'll be introducing you to a new segment that we'll be doing probably every week. Alternating each week, we'll bring a controversial topic to the table and we're going to discuss what we think of the topic. This week we thought because of Christmas having just been, we would discuss Santa. Do we continue the tradition of Santa or do we break the somewhat toxic tradition 
and start a new tradition altogether. Let's dive in to the topic today. I think sometimes in life we just continue to do traditions without thinking too much about it or overanalyzing why we do it. I know many of you out there probably going to roll your eyes and be like, why are you taking such an innocent tradition? And some would say the magic that is Christmas away from our kids or why does our generation always have to overthink something that is just on the surface, just a bit of fun? In some aspects, I do agree, but it does seem harmless, you know, the old Santa, Santa Claus and the North Pole and whatever. But when you start thinking about it and you look into what Santa is and why we believe in Santa and sitting on an old man's lap in like the shopping center for some photos and he asks us if we've been good and or continue to make sure we're really good for our mums and he knows where we lives and where we lives <laughs> where we live and all of that it can be quite just creepy the undertones and when we decided to pick this topic I just I really wanted to dissect the whole thing I decided to see why we even celebrate Santa in the beginning and I did some digging. I know, I know. Here we go. My wonderful Dutch ancestors were the ones to bring the idea of St. Nicholas to what was New Amsterdam, which is now known as New York. So, yeah. I, know. Note, I did not know that. That was that was actually like yeah, oh, I know. Cool. I actually, really learning something. I got all this I like information that. off like Britannica <laughs> or some website, and I was just like, it's amazing that you just do these traditions your whole life, and you actually have no idea where they even come from, or just yeah, just these random facts. So you're like, oh, I've done this my whole life, but I have no idea why. But anyway, it's yeah, it is very interesting, and um, so so Saint Nicholas as called by the Dutch, was Sinterklaas. So it sounds very similar to Santa Claus. Um, And St. Nicholas was the saint that lived in the 4th century, which is now modern-day Turkey. Um, According to tradition, he was a generous man and (laughs) just wanted to give to the poor and just he was just known as a really sweet person. Um, And a fun fact was that he was known to give marriage dowries of gold to girls who would otherwise have been forced into prostitution, Um, as well as restored life to three children who had been chopped up by the butcher and put into a tub of brine. So we're just going to take these facts with a bit of a pinch of salt. Like realistically, a good question about that is how did he save them once they'd been chopped? Like are we saying that well, Santa really Santa, is magical then? So maybe it is really believable <laughs> that he can fly in a reindeer. But how did St. Nicholas I don't know. Did I he really stitch think them back together? Many, many saints are body? just – it's one of those things. As time goes on, the stories just change, get more dramatic. Like they probably like had a cut and he like maybe – 100%. Helped heal the cut. Yeah. <laughs> Put a Band-Aid on them. Yeah. Exactly. Everyone's got to add a bit of mayo to the stories, don't they say? mayonnaise. Um, Yeah. (laughs) It's it's growing on me. You don't like mayonnaise, interestingly (laughs) enough. Yeah. Oh, as a condiment? (laughs) Um, Yes. So then once Sinterklaas was in um, New York, Thomas Nast, or Nast, released the poem Twas the Night Before Christmas, and he had illustrated a picture of Santa. And in the poem, 
it was actually on like the 23rd or 24th of Christmas that Santa like came about and left the presents because St. Nicholas Day is on the December 6th. So that's where around Europe um, on December 6th, all kids and stuff would wake up to presents. And that was actually the original kind of gift giving day, not Christmas Day as we now do it. Um, And then once that poem was released, Coca-Cola actually took the picture or the illustration of Santa further. And that's who now we know as like, you know, Santa with the gray hair and red outfit. Um, and yes. Yeah, yeah. The big black boots and the white gloves. And, and the, the that big was belly in 1931. Yep. So then that kind of started, that was for an advert as well. And that kind of started the Santa Claus that we now know and that we now would have give our presents on the on Christmas Eve and wake up to on Christmas Day. Yeah, so the more you know. (laughs) Absolutely. And so that's now created that Santa that we now know. So that's quite incredible actually that it's gone from a saint with a lot of stories with a bit of added mayo going on in there and then over time has it as it's all really just come down to capitalism as everything seems to. It's actually literally everything comes down to capitalism and it's the it Americans that are always behind Everything it. Everything comes like, down to money. They've just got to make us want to yes. get more holidays to spend more money to, like, I mean, giving gifts is nice, but, like, that is literally, I feel like, what the main reason for Christmas is at the moment. It's just getting gifts. I don't really know what more to say on that. Um, so... I've got a little bit of tidbit of information for you. I've been doing a little bit of research myself. Now I've gone down a bit of a different path. So according to an article written by Wrigley Toes in 2021, the average Australian child stops believing in Santa at about six and a half years old. Interestingly, that's approximately two years sooner than their parents would have stopped believing in Santa. So this article actually touches on some of the reasons why kids do come to the realization that Santa Claus is actually just mum or dad or grandma or their uncle. Some of the list, the reasons that they listed, seeing the presents in their parents' shopping trolley or car boot that end up under the tree saying yeah. they're from Santa. <laughs> That's a bit of a dead giveaway. The present gift tag that says from Santa being in the same handwriting mm, as all their birthday cards from their mum or dad. And interestingly, in 2015, one in six Aussie kids said the internet Mm. was the reason they stopped believing in Santa. Funnily enough, I am both surprised and not surprised about the internet aspect of this. Right now that I have a one-year-old, I think of the internet being an impact on her life at six and a half so far away, but that statistic was pulled from 2015. So who knows what that impact could be in 2027. And I hope I've done the maths right. I had to actually sit there and be like, how old is she going to be? Like, what year is it going to be? I'm just no, shocking at it. I'm like, That is anyway. literally insane so, that, like like you said, I would never have thought that a six-and-a-half-year-old would search on the internet and see that Santa Claus isn't real. Like that just seems so far yeah. removed from my reality when I was six that I don't even think about it being a concept for kids now, but it obviously Same. would be. No. I mean, we didn't even have the internet when we were six and a half, yeah. so I suppose it's, it is very different that way. 
But I think it might even be, it might even come down to more like how we would have maybe watched like a little show when we were six and a half. They might have like a favorite YouTuber who isn't a kid exactly. who maybe talks about buying yeah. presents and that's how they, I don't know, like six and a half seems so young. I don't really know that many six and a half year olds, no, so I'm not really easily, too sure like, what they're into. You know, you could be watching a YouTube video and think about how easily you could get onto a million different other videos on YouTube. You could definitely get onto a a video that's like, oh, I'm getting gifts for my kids, like Santa's not real or something just like so innocent like that, but still ruining that fact for them. (laughs) Yeah, 100%. So, Sky, I was wondering how old were you when you stopped believing in Santa? (laughs) For me, I was actually really old. I was probably like 10 or 11 (laughs) It was last week. That's why I'm still so excited about it now. No. <laughs> I, yeah, I was probably 10 or 11. Um, I am the eldest of three, so I didn't have older siblings to ruin that for me. And we do have quite big age gaps. So, you know, my younger brother wasn't going to figure it out before me. Um, and even even kids at school would tell me that's, that Santa wasn't real. But my parents were the best people to me. and. I truly believed every word they said and I really felt like they were the smartest people in the world. They knew everything. So if they told me something, I had no reason to doubt doubt them. And like I remember not having arguments with kids in my class, but they'd be like, Santa isn't real. And I'd be like, yes, it is. Yes, he is. He's so real. Like he ate all of the cookies and all of the drink that we left out. Of course, my parents couldn't eat that. And like... Just so innocently, of course. Like my parents wouldn't lie to me. Um, yeah. But when I did realize, I don't really know what led me to really get to the conclusion that he definitely wasn't real. But I do remember feeling like such a fool and feeling just shocked that they had lied to me and that I truly had believed them. And like all the kids at school obviously knew that he wasn't real and I was just like last kind of on the bandwagon in a way. Um. And so that kind of is why I wouldn't really want to make my children feel that way, you know, like it really obviously, it didn't, I don't think it affected me who I am today, but like, yeah, I just, I do remember vividly feeling like an idiot. What about you? It's so interesting that you actually remember the moment because I I don't quite remember like the exact moment from going Santa is real to Santa's not real. I think for me it was more of a gradual realisation probably over time. Like for me, you know, I have four older siblings and I feel like their overall just influence on me probably slowly made me kind of realize that maybe they didn't have the same excitement about the idea of Santa that I did. And maybe over time I sort of noticed that they stopped talking about Santa so much as a concept, you know, towards their own presence. And I know there was a time when I went shopping with my mum. I don't exactly remember the details, but I just remember looking in the trolley and being like, oh, that's a Barbie I really, really want. And I remember being like, is that for me? And my mum being like, no, 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 that's for one of your cousins. And then when I unwrapped all my presents on Christmas, I was like, oh, you got me one as well. Like I remember thinking, oh, that's the same thing I saw in the trolley. And so I think it was just like a slower like a slower realization. And I don't have any, I didn't feel betrayed. I didn't have any moment where I was like, oh, you lied to me about Santa or I feel silly because I believed in Santa. I feel like with me and my older siblings, no one made fun of anyone else for still believing in Santa, but it was like a general understanding that it was like, oh, you're one of the bigger kids now. 
we know that Santa's not really real. We know that mum buys all of our presents. Yep. But don't tell the other kids yet, you know. And I think that 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 still kept like a level of, I guess, like that traditional side to it and some of that magical side to it. Like obviously that's not all the magic, but like to keep some of the magic for the younger sort of generation to talk about Santa and still have your traditions of your milk and your cookies and all that sort of stuff the night before. Yeah. When I was researching, obviously, about why you should or why you shouldn't or what reasons are for and against, I found this article and it was from The Guardian and it was about how Santa is actually a creep who just watches us and wants us to behave. And I definitely wouldn't be using that as a behavior tool for Emilio um, and any of the other kids we have. So, But I'll link the article in the show notes. Um, A line in it stood out to me and it said, My favorite part of the Santa story never has anything to do with the man himself, a pathological home intruder with the God complex. The magic lived in the night before his arrival and the morning after it. In the trail of mince pie crumbs and the presence of my sisters, our shared dream hanging in the air like a vine. My mother in her terry-toweling dressing gown, her face aglow. And I feel like that sums up in a way how I feel. Like Christmas isn't about the gifts or isn't about Santa. It's about the feeling that you spend with your loved ones around you, eating great food, laughing, listening to music, arguing with some of those said relatives. But it's easy to get caught up in this capitalist idea of Christmas, which is Santa, where it's all about the gifts. And But in reality, that's not what makes Christmas magical. And I think that stood out to me because I was kind of like, you can create those memories like that girl was saying without anything to do with Santa. And like those are the special things. Like for me growing up, my family celebrated Christmas Eve and we stayed up until 12 a.m. on like the tradition for us was staying up till 12 a.m. on Christmas Eve and opening some gifts like with our family. But The gifts were obviously really cool, but it was actually staying awake until 12 a.m. Like, oh, that's so late. That's so exciting. And like everyone would stay up till like 4 or 5 a.m., like the adults, like drinking and whatever. And like I remember so many Christmases, like we would genuinely have a nap in the afternoon so that we could like make it through the night. And those are the things that I remember. Like that is the magic of Christmas to me. And that's what I want to pass on to Emilio. So I don't like, I don't know what I want to do. I don't want to lie to him. And I don't like, I think, well, it's also hard because when you have so many people around you doing Santa, there kind of is pressure to do Santa because everyone's like, oh, it's the tradition. It's Santa, you know, like that's what you should do. And everyone does it. So you can't really go against the grain. Like it's very difficult to go against the grain. And also the other hard thing too, is if one family really wants to have Santa as like a concept for their family, it would be hard to be doing not Santa in your family. And then the little kids hang out and it would be hard to explain to your kid we know that Santa isn't real, but those kids do believe in Santa, even though you're the same age. Like I, I, know. I find that that would be really hard to sort of get your kid at a really young age to still continue yeah, that I know. part then I for think the about other it, children. Like, because we work with a lot of Jewish kids and I was talking to one of the boys um, at work the other day and he was like, like they obviously don't celebrate Christmas so they don't do Santa. 
And he was like, yeah, I remember knowing that Santa wasn't real. And all the other kids would be like, yes, he is. And so even though it would be difficult, it's obviously doable because it's almost like teaching your kids to be respectful of how other people might have different religions. Like just because we believe in one God, that doesn't mean like the Muslim kid who believes in a different God isn't right. And so I think it's definitely doable. It's just all about teaching kids tolerance and understanding that everyone does things differently. And so I think. I think the hard thing might be, though, you might teach your kid tolerance to understand that that child might believe in Santa. But I guess it might be hard to know that someone else is teaching their child tolerance for them to turn around to your own child and not turn around to them and be like, well, you're an Wait, idiot for thinking that Santa isn't real. So, because, you know, you're talking about like, and I agree with you in the sense of teaching your child tolerance to understand that other people might believe in something, but I suppose you'd have to almost respect that everyone is doing the same thing. Because if you do have a five-year-old that's going around and saying, okay, you believe in Santa, and then that kid says, well, do you believe in Santa? And then your kid says, no. No, but is, 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 is that on Like, how do you know that, that the other child's going to receive that well? Every single other person's child, though. Like, if I teach my kid, oh, hey, like Santa, we, or if I won't go, we don't do Santa, everyone else does Santa. Like, I'll just, I could just not, like, I'm, even if I do Santa presents, I don't want to make Santa a big deal, I don't think. Like, I don't think I want it to be, let's mm. leave some milk and cookies out for Santa. Like, I don't think I'll do that. I think I'll just be like, oh, here's your okay. Santa gift, you know, and kind of skim over the top of what Santa is kind of thing in the morning. Like, that's just Christmas morning gift. Um, but I don't think, like, I don't want the focus to be Santa. Like, I want Amelia to remember other things because I think oh, so many people say to me, oh, you have to do Santa because you know, the magic of Christmas was lost when I found out Santa wasn't real. And I don't want that to happen for Emilio in the way that I'm like, I want him to feel like the, the magic is always going to be there. And it's not relying on Santa to be the magic. Like every other tradition that we do is the magic. Yeah. I mean, I definitely agree with that. I obviously didn't believe yeah. in Santa probably passed yeah. about five and I still loved Christmas yeah. every year for a very long time. So I can completely agree with that. I mean, again, I think because I was so young when I did stop believing in Santa that, I don't know, there was the fun little tradition. But again, it's more like, I think in my family, it was more like the sense that Santa kind of, I don't know, we didn't do a huge aspect of Santa. No one dressed up as Santa in my family. There was no, my mum wrote all of the gifts were from Santa while there were still little kids in the house. Even though most of us were like, we all know they're from mum. Um, I think it maybe it's like an, an also like obviously other than the capitalist side of it, maybe there's also an aspect of Santa being kind of one thing that people can kind of use to represent that magic of Santa and then lots of people take yeah. from that and interpret that differently in their families, whether they do dress up as Santa, whether they just say that Santa's been, whether they go the whole thing and say that Santa's come down the chimney yeah. and do little footprints on the floor and all sorts of things. Maybe it's like a nice sort of jumping ground as well. Okay, so obviously I still don't know where I stand on Santa. <laughs> Probably will do it, won't make it a focus, and if Emilio asks me, I'm not going to lie to him. So that's kind of my final say. What about you, Lise? What are you going to do? 
I think that there are huge aspects of Santa and the way that sort of manifests in your family as traditions that I do like. I think there is a part of me that probably is more likely to do it for the sake of family and the sake of the, the family tradition. Um, yeah. Like I personally have no interest in getting like a photo done with me and Shane and Santa, but I think it's sweet that it's something that my mum wants to do to take Sylvie to go and get a photo done with Santa. Yeah. I really struggle with the idea of sitting on some old man's lap. Like I actually hate it. I just think it's so gross. I really do. Like there's such a huge creepy aspect to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think that in our family we will probably talk about Santa maybe as a bit more of an abstract sort of concept. I definitely won't be going down any sort of path to be like, you've got to write, you know, your list for Santa. I mean, it's not a bad idea though because you know exactly what your kids want for Christmas. But <laughs> You could just ask them. <laughs> yeah, I know. But then it's a little <laughs> bit more. I, obviously they do it in that roundabout way because then they're not saying – and because they do it at school, like if your kid still believes in Santa at eight, they do Christmas lists at the end of every year. So it's a part of literally the end of school curriculum. But anyway, um, yeah, I think that I don't want for our Christmases and for Sylvie's sake there to be a huge element of Christmas is all about getting presents from people. I want her to appreciate the presents that she gets from people and be excited to play with them and not get 50,000 things so that she doesn't you know, she moves on from one toy to the next. Yeah. And I definitely don't want there to be some sort of aspect. I don't think that's the kind of parenting that we will do anyway, but I don't, I I don't love the aspect of being like, oh, you know, like you're being naughty. Santa's not going to come this year or Santa's going to know that you're being naughty or nice. I don't know. There's a huge aspect of that, that I just really don't love. Yeah. It's a huge like rewards and consequences system. To summarise probably where I'm coming from, though, I think that I do like some tradition, but I'm not the most traditional person. I probably fall somewhere in the middle where I think the biggest element of Christmas and the fun and the magic that I want there to be is that it's just a huge focus on time with family, time with friends, setting up the tree, watching movies, going to look at Christmas lights. So in summary, we both know how we generally gen <laughs> we both know how we feel about the overall topic and have a fairly clear idea of what we're going to do to approach Santa with our kids. But they may that may likely change and evolve over time. And who knows? Next year we might even completely throw in the concept of Santa in the bin. So let's not hold anything to account <laughs> that we say here. <laughs> exactly. And in the spirit of talking about Christmas, I wanted to switch gears, but only slightly from Santa to the mental load. This time of year, many people would be very well acquainted with both of those concepts. So I know it's something that we definitely wanted to discuss and talk about the mental load, especially that comes with the territory of Christmas time. Yes. And even though when this comes out, it'll be Boxing Day, there will still be a lot of mental load on people even between that, you know, that period to New Year's. Yeah. Um, and there's no denying that in the majority of Australian households, the responsibility falls either mostly or solely on the shoulders of the women of the household. Just to rattle off some of the additional things that add to the mental load and mental labor at this time of year, grocery and present shopping, the cost of everything, the wrapping of all the presents, planning of all the catch-ups and events, decorating the house, and then organizing all the additional traditions that you may want to do, such as Elf on the Shelf, Christmas carols, going to look at Christmas lights. There's a lot to think of. 
And I know I personally always find Christmas a particularly stressful time of the year. Usually I'm either really busy with work and my only day off being Christmas Day, which in itself isn't actually a day off. And this year hasn't been an exception. Now that I'm a working mum, whose leave doesn't actually start until Christmas Day, pretty much. So I was thinking about what specifically makes me feel the pressure or the stress at this time of year. I know that for me, the mental load feels like sort of a bit of a pressure that I can't escape. And it doesn't help that I'm not a very organized person. I have many to-do lists that themselves get forgotten about. And I always have this fear that I'm going to let someone down that they won't be happy with the gift that I've given or I worry that I haven't put in enough effort to catch up with certain family or friends at this time of year. And that's a huge other element of the mental load that that weighs on me. Um, Obviously, in addition to being the one who generally will organize the presents and talk about the presents. But as I was saying to you earlier, now that half of our Christmas is gone, I do actually have a, a better sort of overall feeling this year. And I think that it was more the the lead up to some of the events. And when it's for me as well, when I have like a never ending to-do list over my yeah. head, whether or not I've started the to-do list or not, that it's like an impending doom. And this year we wanted to do everything together, but it didn't happen. We divided and conquered that way. Yeah. And it actually really worked for us this year in terms of organizing everything that we needed to organize for presents and things to take to Christmas. So that's one thing that's been really good, but it definitely is something that obviously it's still unfair. Um, And I would know that in an extremely high amount of relationships, it's, it's not even, it's not 50, 50, it's not 60, 40. No. And it's one of those things. It's like, it's almost sort of like, if um, if you are in a relationship like that, and maybe for some people they might not even have really understood the concept of the mental load until maybe a couple of years ago because maybe as every month that goes by or every year that goes by, you realise, oh, there's actually more stuff on my plate than last year and how did that happen? Like yeah. it's a slow burn. I don't think it's – if you even don't understand the concept, you know the feeling regardless. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that in the last couple of years, we've we've been able to learn the actual language to articulate what the mental load is and what a mental burnout is. Yeah. And I think that's it's good, of course, that we have the language to use it. But I think there's a part of me that's also like, well, what good is the language to use it if we don't have the tools to actually start trying to change that and and find ways to make other people understand. And I know it's a huge societal issue that the mental load is always placed on women. And obviously talking about it and trying to normalize it and normalize different ways that different families do things, I suppose helps to kind of break some of that. Yeah. I know that you don't have necessarily the same sort of traditional sort of mental load, but can you kind of tell me how it affects you at this time of year or what your outlook on it is? Um, for me, it's really hard because it's something that definitely is, it, it annoys me for other people. The mental load discussion, I get defensive for everyone else. Like you see hard women, like you see how hard women have to work to organize everything. And it's just common knowledge that moms are the ones who go out and get the gifts and organize the food. But in my house, it's very much a shared load. Um, I feel very grateful to have chosen a life partner who is very respectful of how he can help lessen the load for me. We really focus on being a team, even around Christmas. 
Um, we both do all the shopping, even if it's like, you know, divide and conquer or it's together. We both think yeah. of what we're going to eat. We both organize the presents, wrapping the presents, everything like that. So I can't re- really relate in a, in a way to the added stress that happens around Christmas, but I do know that it is very real for a lot of women. And I really want to, you know, make sure those stereotypes can be broken down. And I think about that every day when I'm I'm raising Emilio and I'm so grateful that he's got a role model like Aaron and and he looks up to that in, in a, in our relationship and knows that, you know, we're not perfect. We fight all the time and we can work on that, but he will see that, we're a team when it comes to sharing responsibilities around the house and everything like that. Yeah, exactly. Because realistically, you're both adults. You're both working adults that realistically should have the exact same skill level when it comes to cooking and cleaning. And someone might like doing some things better than others. So that's where you kind of go, you know what? I actually hate doing that. You do a better job. And you can say, can you just take care of that from now on? Yeah. I think that being able to probably identify the way that that makes you feel when the mental load does affect you and finding good ways to approach your domestic life partner in a way that probably doesn't make them feel defensive is probably also a good way um, to approach it. Yes. I know in my house as well that every Christmas looks different for us. There's been years where Shane's got two or three weeks off around Christmas and I feel like if we've hosted Christmas or we've hosted some parts of Christmas because there's been some times where some of Shane's families come over for a few hours in the morning and I've been working a lot. The mental load, I probably think of, (laughs) I probably have thought of the things more to do, but the actual physical load has fallen on Shane more in terms of getting the house clean for everyone to come over. So I know that not every year Christmas time looks the same for us, which I suppose is one thing that I am grateful for in the sense that there's been times when I've worked more than Shane over Christmas and I've had to literally just be like, my foot is completely off the pedal. Like you you really have to do more. And I feel like because I know how stressed out I can get about things, I find that I, in advance, I say, look, I know that I'm going to feel a bit more anxious and a bit more stressed out over the next few weeks. So can you please just keep that in mind to do those few extra things? And of course, that's the mental load having to say those things to Shane. But it's also just communication. It's also just communicating to your partner what you need. And yeah, like uh, it can be separate from the mental load because it's kind of like, you know, I need you to pick up a bit more of my slack. And Exactly. And like we talk about the concept of leaning in And that's something that, you know, obviously I wish that sometimes Shane could just read my mind and do some of the things without me saying, hey, don't forget to do this. But at the same time, I find that at least if I know that the two of us are trying our best to communicate with each other, that it it does help to alleviate a lot of that mental that mental load. Because I know that for a lot of our our life, Shane is a very equal partner. So what would you say you like to do to sort of implement anything to avoid any stresses additional in your life? I, it's hard because Aaron and I and my whole family, like we all love cooking and hosting and being around everyone that, that really fills our cup and it really makes us feel less stressed in a way. Like doing all of those stress things makes us feel relaxed. So we all come up with the meals of 
Christmas together. We share who's cooking it. Most of the time it's actually a fight to be able to get to cook in our family because everyone wants to cook their their parts. So, um, yeah, it's hard because I sound disgustingly positive, but I don't really relate necessarily to that Christmas chaos necessarily because I also have a small family here. So it's just usually my immediate family that's catching up. So it's not as if we're hosting for 45 people every year. It's literally yeah. like maximum 14, 15 people. So it's not really crazy stressful. Um, and then we have Aaron's family the next day and his family always share the load and we always do. If it's not at us, it's at one of the other houses and there's really only like 15, 10, 15 people there as well. So it's not a lot of people to have to be cooking. So I I think if the situation was probably like, you know, people have like 50 people over for dinner every year, it would be hectic because you're just trying to balance everything. But you almost wouldn't even get to talk to anyone properly and like have a good conversation if you've got that many people coming to your house. That's a lot. Yeah. Like when I was younger, we would have so many people at Christmas. Like it would be my whole dad's extended family, which adds up quite quickly, but we don't really speak to many of them anymore. So the Christmas is simpler and easier to organize now. But um, yeah, but it it is hard um, to organize it all when it can get hectic. But I I don't know, I'm really lucky that it's just simple always. Yep. Yeah. It's funny, I think for me, I always feel so much more stressed out in the lead up. I never feel stressed out at the event ever. Every time an event actually happens, whether I'm hosting or not, whether I've cooked stuff, taken stuff, bought presents. When I'm in in the moment, I'm just enjoying it. Like I really am just like, I'm having such a good time. I love being around these people, chatting to them and all of that. And I think I know that I have anxiety obviously. So I feel like the anxiety and the planning and always the way that I always think that whatever I'm cooking or whatever presents I'm gifting to people, it's always like, oh, this isn't good enough. Yeah. And I think that's where a huge part of that sort of insecurity. So then every year I think, how am I going to do this differently? I'll start Christmas shopping early or something, which I never do. And I think I try to like come up with really creative presents. And I don't know, I probably put more pressure on myself than is necessary. I think so. I think because sometimes I struggle to just accept the way that I am and the way that I actually approach situations so that I try to change them. Yeah. I I think more women need to really let go of having that kind of, not martyr complex, but we always want to be the best and do the best. And if it's not the best, we're not good mums or we're not good friends or not good family members. And I think like I was reading an article in anticipation of this um, podcast recording and It was a Refinery29 article where three women were explaining their experiences of the mental load around Christmas. And they all said, like the common theme was just this pressure that they felt on themselves to do it all. And it was just assumed it was on them and they just continued to do it every year. And the other other one... One of them even started doing the Santa, stealing Santa present shopping for her brother and her mum did it for her dad and they just did it. And it was like a vicious cycle of they do it so they don't do it and that's making them unhappy and then they think about it less and it's just like, just stop doing these things. Just stop it. Like I know it's not so simple and it's not so black and white, but women don't have more capabilities than men to worry about these things. We don't need to just keep doing it for them. It's not as if they can't do it. 
And it's time for us to just put our feet up and not put the pressure on ourselves because I really think it is an internal thing that women have internalized. And obviously it's not just, you're not just going to switch, flick the switch and it's suddenly going to be gone. But I think we need to teach ourselves to stop feeling that internalized pressure because we're just stuck in this vicious cycle where we just keep doing it. And the men around us just think, oh, that's just what they do. And if you are a man out there, talk to your partner about what you can do to help them. Ask them what they need to do and just do things. I know it adds to the mental load or whatever, but but it's a good start, start the conversation. Yes, yeah, set That's the boundaries. The yeah. Yeah. And I think I have like a little bit of an inkling sometimes that like sometimes I feel like the reason why and I know I don't mean to stereotype or any lay any sort of blanket assumption over people, but just maybe in my experience the reason why a lot of men aren't comfortable with doing that is because it has never been expected of them. Exactly. It's not been expected of them to do that. So naturally they turn to someone else in their life who generally happens to be their female domestic partner. And th- there's more of a leaning on them to kind of take charge and do it. And then I think over time, the resistance maybe from the men to want to take the lead makes the the female, the woman go, well, don't worry, I'll just do it. Yeah. It's just easier if I do exactly. it. And I think unfortunately that's the snowball effect. Like years and years ago, some advice that I got from um, one of my managers who had you know, been married to her husband for probably like 30 something years at the time, she was like, don't criticize your partner if they do anything, like not anything, if they do any shopping, cooking, cleaning, don't criticize them because they won't want to do it anymore. Yeah. And it made me laugh because I was kind of like, oh, are they really that fragile that they can't continue to do something yeah. if they're not doing it right? But I don't think she meant it that way. I think she meant more like encourage the fact that they are doing the things. Positive reinforcement. Because that is probably them <laughs> stepping hugely out of their comfort zone because they've never been encouraged to do it before. I know. It's hard. Yeah, it's just an interesting concept, yeah. I know. I don't think we're going to have the answers, but I think that Probably not in our lifetime. No, but I I do think it starts with obviously raising our generation and just starting the conversations, like starting the conversations with your partner. And even if it is more mental load necessarily to tell them what you need them to do, it's also just communication. And like if you're feeling overwhelmed, like if the other person doesn't know that and they're not being communicated to what the issues are, just set clear boundaries. These are your tasks. These are my tasks. Then no one needs to worry about who's doing what and is it fair and whatever because I think if you can start setting clear little tasks for each person, everything just starts to get done and we can all share in the load. Yeah, that's definitely something that it's taken me quite a while to think of but I kind of had to just suck it up and go, Shane and I often do not have days off or nights off together. We will never have a routine and that's that's our life. So we did do that. We yeah. did the more divide and conquer. And there were already some things that he was already always doing, but we had a little bit more of a clear sit down and went, I just went, that's it. I'm completely hands off. That is completely your job now. And I will also completely do this job now. Exactly. So that I'm not going to get annoyed at you for not doing it. Yeah. And then I also won't feel the pressure to do that. Yeah. And it's actually been really good. Like it's really been a game changer. Obviously, there are times when one of us will still do stuff that the other one would normally do, Um, but I think that's been like a really good strategy that we've sort of started to implement and hopefully we can continue to just keep that up and that'll just really keep those lines of communication open between us. Exactly. Just one communication at a time breaks down that mental load. Exactly. Yeah. That's all we can do. But 
Exactly. We hope that you guys did have a really lovely Christmas and are listening to this relaxing on the beach because it's going to be really hot. So (laughs) (laughs) enjoy your Boxing Day, everyone, or whenever you're listening to this. And hopefully now that for some of you who are listening to this who have had to wear that mental load the most, I hope that you did have an enjoyable day. I do want to do like a big shout out to all the all the people that organize the events and do all the cooking and do the bulk of the planning, like we see you and, you know, specifically like my mum, I appreciate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you had a good Christmas. <laughs> yeah, so, but thanks so much for listening to us, guys, and please rate and review us, like us on Instagram, What the Hell Are We Doing podcast, and Follow us on TikTok. We're hopefully going to post some TikTok soon. We just yes. need to build up the courage to do so. So go follow us there so that we can have a few followers before we post. And then the pressure will also make us want to post something yeah. because we'll have people following us and expecting something. Exactly. But anyway. Thank you so much. And thank you so much to everyone also who has reached out to me since my birth story episode came out. Um, it's been incredibly scary to have that out there. Um, today is the day that it actually came out and my stomach has been in knots and I've barely been able to eat anything all day and I hardly slept last night. So to those of you that have reached out to me to say something kind, like it, it genuinely means the world because it's been very, very scary. So thank you and um, please reach out again if you want to chat about this episode. Yep. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Bye.